Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. On the cross, Jesus defeated death. In this episode, Dr. Timothy Peters unpacks Pastor Andrew's awesome message on God's gift of atonement. On this first Sunday of Advent, we're going to begin looking at uh, atonement. So the atonement refers to what God did with Jesus on the cross. And this enabled us to come into relationship with God where we are one with Him, at one with God, where we are right with Him. And the New Testament refers to this as justification by faith. In Romans 5, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified, having been made right or righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians, he wrote, A man or a person is not justified, they're not made right by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God through faith. And Pastor Andrew notes that there are five things that occur when Jesus goes to the cross. First, an innocent man dies. Second, death is strategically confronted and defeated. Third, sin is breached and our penalty is taken by Jesus. Fourth, the principalities and powers are dethroned and humiliated. And fifth, the law is dissolved. And this message, it's part one, we are looking at the first and second of these things. So an innocent man dies and death is strategically confronted and defeated. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, Pilate's wife sent a message to him and warned him and said, have nothing to do with this innocent man. What does that mean to say that Jesus was innocent? He was innocent of blasphemy, which was the accusation that the Jewish leaders had against him. He was claiming to be divine. He was claiming to be God. And there was a sense of envy or resentment to this elevated status, Jesus' claim to be divine. But of course he was, and therefore was innocent of the charge of blasphemy. He was also innocent of the other charge brought against him, the charge of sedition or rebellion or treason against the Roman Empire and that the Roman charge against him. Throughout his ministry and teaching, Jesus never confronted or criticized the Roman Empire or its rulers, but this was the claim brought against him. The theologian John Milbank talks about Jesus' death as being both a divine death and a human death. A divine death as a result of the charge of blasphemy, this elevation, this claim to be divine, which of course he was, but a human death as a result of of human rulers, of the Roman Empire. But neither of these aspects of his innocence were the issue. 
For many other people have died for a good cause, and many others have been falsely charged, falsely accused, and died. What was unique about Jesus was that he was innocent of sin, and the cross is about sin. And again, Milbank, who I referred to before, says that Jesus, imbued with his divine height, died precisely the death of absolute innocence. So it's not just that he was innocent of the charges brought against him. It was absolute innocence. And the New Testament writers refer to this in a number of places. So the writer of the letter to the Hebrews said that Jesus had been tempted in every way, just as we are tempted, yet was without sin. And in chapter 7, he wrote, For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Peter, in his first letter, said that he who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And then in chapter 1 he says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. And then John, in his first letter, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus was both divine, the Son of God, and human, the Son of Man. He died the death of absolute innocence because he knew no sin. He was not just a good man, not just innocent of the specific crimes with which he was charged, of blasphemy, of sedition, but was innocent of all wrongdoing. And that brings us to the second point, that because of that innocence, because of Jesus' innocence, death could not contain him. Death could not hold him down, and death could not keep him. And so in his death on the cross, death itself is finally confronted. In Acts 2, Peter is speaking to the crowd, and he says, Jesus of Nazareth was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, who you took by lawless hands and crucified and put to death, but whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It wasn't possible that Jesus could be held by death. Now, one of the fundamental issues that lays behind the condition of this world in which we live, into which we are born, is that sin brings death. But Jesus came because death had to be dealt with. So what is the effect of sin? We just said it. It brings death, but it also brings conflict. It brings diminishment. It brings sickness. It impacts on our ability to have relationship with each other as much as our ability to have relationship with God. A few weeks ago, um, we had the reading from Isaiah 65, which speaks to Isaiah's vision of God's creation of a new heaven, a new earth, And it has this vision of a life redeemed of sin. 
where there's no sickness, there's no weeping, where life isn't cut short, where life isn't diminished, this sense of a fullness of what God intended for life to be. So what would life have been like without sin? And Pastor Andrew speaks to the nature of the universe here as a vision of what that might have been like or what God's intention might have been. He said God's intention in creating this planet and the huge universe which accompanies it was so there could be an ongoing eternal development of humanity. He says there's no way that this tiny planet could contain that growth. Now, God did not create numerous planets that could sustain life, as scientists tell us. And to date, we are it, although there is so much more to discover. Despite hundreds of years of seeking out the nature of the universe, we still cannot find a duplicate Earth that can sustain life. So far, our home is unique in the universe. So we haven't found a planet that can sustain life like Earth. Why? Because, Andrew says, that was to be the work for the men and women whom God created in his image and likeness. Getting beyond this planet and creating an environment where human beings could exist was to be done through the ingenuity that God has placed within us. It was, he says, our responsibility. So in Genesis 1, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. But, as Andrew notes, due to sin, we cannot even get this planet right. So it's not just the challenges we can see and face, but sin that gets in the way as well. Sin stays the process at every level of human endeavour. Death also did something else. It had a different impact. The Westminster Confession, one of those founding documents of our faith, says this about the purpose of humanity. Men and women's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our chief end, our chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This concept is suggested by many scripture passages, including Psalm 16, where it says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Romans 11, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then in the book of Revelations, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now if our chief purpose is to worship and glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. The problem with death is that you cannot worship him from the grave. You cannot worship him from what the Bible refers to as Sheol. In Psalm 6, it says, For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? And in Isaiah 38, verse 18, For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. 
Pastor Andrew notes that we've been looking at times at the work of Bishop Wright and his dismissal of heaven when we die and replacement with the idea of paradise, which he sees as a blissful garden of refreshment before our final destination. But the problem with this sense of paradise, which only has a few biblical references, is that it also seems to suppress or delay the expression of both worship and enjoyment and pleasure on God's side as well as ours. Whereas the book of Revelation indicates that such worship, enjoyment and pleasure is full on in heaven. In Revelation 5, verses 11 to 12, it says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. God getting blessed, God getting praised, God getting glory, that is what heaven is all about. So Jesus didn't simply come to defeat death and its ongoing impact on us after our mortal bodies die, but he also came to provide for us a place where we can continue to glorify God with all our hearts, to enjoy him forever, and that God can continue to take pleasure in us and with us. But he cannot do that if we are in the grave, if we remain in that biblical idea of Sheol. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 2, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Now that God wants to preach the impact of death on humanity is seen in an enigmatic verse in the first letter of Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through the water. So there's this sense here that these people had been waiting in Sheol. These are the people that weren't saved by Noah's ark, that died. That they were cut off from the affairs of the world and God's kingdom for potentially thousands of years. But after his death, Jesus visited them in Sheol and offered them the gospel promise as well, the opportunity to hear and to respond to him. And that's because God does not like death and the destruction it brings to his eternal relationship with the beautiful men and women he created. Now, before the fall, death was only potential. It wasn't a reality. But despite the freedom God had given to them, once Adam and Eve sought to live separately from God, to run their own affairs and disobey his commands, death then became a reality. In Genesis 2, verse 17, it notes, God had said to Adam, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But as we know, they did eat. And they were responsible for that action, not the tempter, the devil, who was punished as well, but they were responsible for their action. And as a result, they were excluded from the tree of life. And we are also responsible for our sins. We are also responsible for choosing ourselves over God, for choosing to go our own ways rather than to follow him. And the result of that sin, the result of that choice, is death. But the death that entered at this point in time came at three levels. There was a spiritual death where we lost our relationship with God, a relational death where shame came in to distort the basic relationship between us, and physical death, our bodies became mortal and we physically die. Now, despite a lack of reference to heaven in the Old Testament, there is an indication of existence after death in this idea of Sheol or the grave. However, there death reigns and defeats us eternally. On the cross, however, Jesus took on death and defeated it. He broke its power and fear in our lives so that after our physical death, we continue our eternal relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Romans 6, verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this famous verse, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There on the cross, Jesus abolished death because death could not hold him. Paul, in the second letter to Timothy, says, But all this has now been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And in Hebrews 2.14 Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. As a result, God's people can live without the fear of death, controlling them, and serve God to the fullest. In Revelations 12 verse 11 it says, And they overcame him, that is, the devil, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. So the atonement is us coming into relationship with God, being restored into relationship with God, being made right with him, being made one with him. It came through an innocent man dying, but not just any man, not just innocent in general, but innocent in a particular way. And sin and death were defeated. We can have life with Christ for eternity. We can glorify him and enjoy him for all time. So what are the effects of this for us today? 
We can, of course, rely on Jesus, knowing that he was tempted in every way, just as we are. We can have this sense that he understands what it is that we go through, that he has been there for us um, and continues to be there for us. We can also live knowing that our home is heaven, that Jesus is preparing a place for us in his Father's house. But we can also live in a redeemed life, in a redeemed fashion, in which the consequences of sin that entangle us don't have to continue to bind us. That through Jesus' work, our spiritual, relational and physical death is overcome. Though we still experience sickness and conflict, we still have the effects at times of sin, we are able to trust in God's redeeming and restoring power and his work. And so to finish, I'd like to read from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, where it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. And Jesus, we thank you that you came for us. We thank you that although you were innocent, you were willing to take the penalty for us, you were willing to die for us. And we thank you that in doing so, that death was defeated that we can worship you and that we can enjoy you for eternity. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us a sense of what you're doing at this point in time. That in this Advent season, we can prepare our hearts for you, that we can look to you, and we just have a sense of your love and your purpose. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.